Good morning, Rock Hills. I'm so glad uh, to be here with all of you guys today. I hope that you had a great week. Last week, we started this new series called Acts, the Next Chapter. And this is such an important book in the Bible. Sometimes, you know, you, you wonder, where should I read in the Bible? This is a great book to read through because this talks about what happened after Jesus' life has come to an end here on earth. And then what happens next? I mean, what was it all for? If Jesus lived and walked the planet and then he's crucified and, and even rose again, what does it all mean? And so that all picks up here in the next chapter, the book of Acts. And we talked about last week that Acts is written by the disciple, the apostle Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke that tells the story of Jesus. And then part two, it's not called Second Luke, but it's called Acts. So we have the story of Jesus, and then we have the story of, because of Jesus' life, now the church. And we're going to see the church come to life. And so we've ha- we have these, these apostles, or the disciples. They were disciples. If you ever, why, why do we have those two words? The disciples, people who are following Jesus, they're walking with Jesus. After Jesus ascends, then they're going to go and carry out the work that God has called them to do. Thus, they become apostles, people who go and start the church. And so we have these apostles. They followed Jesus with all of their hearts. They were walking with him. They left their trades. They left their life behind so that they could go and follow Jesus for three years. They saw him do miracles. They heard what he taught. They were there when he was crucified, and they were there seeing the resurrected Jesus, who then, as we saw last week in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus meets with them over 40 days to prove that he is alive. And I encourage you, if, uh, if you missed last week, go back and listen to Acts chapter 1. We've got it up on the website or on the podcast. But I also encourage you to read along with us. Last week, Acts chapter 1. This week, we're talking about Acts chapter 2. Next week, let me see if you can get it, Acts chapter... Oh, that's all right. We'll, we'll try again next week. Acts chapter 3 next week. So I encourage you this week, find some time. Read Acts chapter 3. Just read it through the first day, maybe. The next day, I encourage you to go back and read it again and see what you missed. And as you read through it a few times, even if you're really one of those A-plus students, read through it a few times every day during the week. You're really going to be ready for next week. Hopefully, get something out of it. But as these apostles were following around Jesus, they were anxious For this revolution. Because, I mean, wouldn't you be? If you followed Jesus, you'd left everything because you believe that he's the real deal. He's the Messiah that everybody's been waiting on. He was crucified. And then for three days, your hopes were kind of dashed, thinking, I don't know if I I followed the right guy or not. But then all of a sudden, he literally raises from the dead and you have a conversation with him. You eat meals with him. Aren't you thinking, this is it? This is it. Something amazing is about to happen. And that's exactly where the apostles were. They were ready for God to come and set everything right in the nation of Israel and even beyond in the world. But then Jesus gives them a little bit of instruction that I think is hard for any of us to handle. He says, wait, right? If you've ever been a parent, you know, your kids don't like hearing this word, right? They want to eat. They want to watch a show, whatever it is. And you tell them to wait. That's a hard thing for them to handle. But let's be honest, as adults, we're not much better at that, right? Whether it's in our job or what we're looking forward to next in life, to think we have to wait is difficult. 
All right, and if you think you're pretty good about it, I want you to rewind about a week or two ago when you had to wait in line for gas. Like, you couldn't just pull up and fill up your car. You thought, it's going to take me 45 minutes to wait. I mean, if anything will drive you crazy, that'll drive you crazy, right? To have to wait. And that's exactly what Jesus told them to do. And if we're, if we're to summarize Acts into one verse that is kind of the pivot point for where everything changed, it comes out of last week's chapter in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because this could be the whole theme of the book. It says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in Jesus' final last conversation with those who had followed him, he's telling them, I want you to wait because you are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So here's what he's telling them. You're going to have the power to do everything that God is calling you to do. And you've also got a purpose to be my witness. And I'm going to give you a place to do it. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he's saying to those who would follow him, I'm going to give you the power, I'm going to give you purpose, and I'm going to give you a place. And we could probably just even stop right there and just say, okay, God, speak to us and we'll be done. And some of you are hoping that I'm actually going to do that. I'm not. But I want you to walk away from here knowing today that God has the power that you need to be exactly who he's called you to be. And he has a purpose for you. And if you're feeling like, I just don't know what my purpose is, God wants to give you that purpose. He wants to put it deep within your heart. And he's got a place for you to do it. I don't think that any of you are here in Rock Hills this morning by accident. I don't think that you live in the neighborhood that you live in by accident. I don't think that you work in the place that you work by accident. I believe that God has power, purpose, and a place for you to be able to be who he's called you to be and do what he's called you to do. That's why I think that the book of Acts is so important for us as a church community, as our church Because we're looking at the book of Acts and we're looking at what happened then, but it also speaks to what's happening now. We're looking at what happened there, but we're also looking at what God wants to do here. What he did in them, but also what he wants to do in us. We see that God did something amazing in the early church as it begins. But we also have to realize that God wants to do something through us, Rock Hills Church, here Today, now, right here in San Antonio. I believe that we too have been given power and purpose and a place to be able to make a difference. And the truth is, God wants to use you. And God wants to use us. So what does that mean for us now? I mean, that sounds great, Adam, but what do I do with that? Where I live and where I work and in my life. What does it mean for us as a church community As I read this, I've got to ask myself some questions. And as I'm thinking about, God, where do you want our church to be next month, next year, five years, ten years from now? What do you want this church body to be? I have to ask myself questions like, are we doing the things that we're supposed to be doing? Are there things that we aren't doing that we should be doing? Or maybe there's things that we should be doing more faithfully but we've kind of lost it to some degree. And so as I'm reading through the book of Acts, I'm asking God, as a church, we want to be the church that you have called us to be. And that's important for me, obviously, as 
pastor, but it's also important for you because you have a purpose and a place to make a difference within the body of Christ. So as we jump into Acts chapter 2 today, we have to understand that beyond life and death and the resurrection of Christ, what happens here as we get into the second chapter of Acts? This could probably be one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible next to the accounts we see of Jesus being crucified and rising from the dead. What happens in Acts chapter 2 is just as important as anything else that we see in all of Scripture. So that being said, I'm only going to be able to give you a sip of what's in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2's drinking from a fire hose. It's just like a million gallons at once. There's so much within it. So I encourage you, if you haven't read it, go back and read it. And hopefully today I can just pull one drop out of there and hopefully we can get something out of Acts chapter 2 and see what it says to us. First of all, the the setting for Acts chapter 2 is a thing called Pentecost. And if you've been around church for a while, you're probably familiar with that word. But for most of us, that's not a word or a term. It's actually a holiday, a celebration that we're familiar with. You know, it's not on our calendar necessarily, other than if you grew up in maybe a more traditional type church setting that you, you're aware of it when, it when it hits. But for most of us, that's not even a word that we're familiar with. So let me just describe it a little bit. There's three great feasts that the Jewish people would celebrate each year. The first one being Passover, the second one being Pentecost, and the third one being the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. The Feast of Booths happens in the fall. And so that one happens. And then you've got the the Passover feast as well. And the Passover feast is a reminder to all of the Israelites that God's grace was given to them. Because way back, we're talking way back in Moses' day, This is a reminder that when they were slaves to the Egyptians, that God set them free. And you may be familiar with this story in the Old Testament. They're slaves to the Egyptians, and then they come through, and God says, I want you to get lamb's blood, dip it in a brush, and paint it over your doorway. And then when the judgment of God comes, and the judgment of God comes and kills all the firstborn babies of the Egyptians, and just this massive supernatural statement to say to the Egyptian government, you better set the Israelite people free. But when this angel of death comes... All of the Israelite people are passed over because their doorways are marked with the Lamb's blood. So every year, for hundreds of years following, the Jewish people every spring would celebrate this Passover event. And they would remember that they're here today and they're able to be Jewish people today because God passed over them and God set them free. It's a really good reason to celebrate, right? And then the the other, the third feast is Pentecost, which is what we're going to look at today. But Pentecost literally means 50 days. So 50 days after this Passover celebration, after Passover happened, the Jewish people, the Israelite people were set free. And then 50 days later, 
You may remember the story of Moses. He goes up Mount Sinai. He gets the law of God, which is the Ten Commandments. He comes back down the mountain with the Ten Commandments, which is God's covenant with His people. So now God has set His people free in Passover. And then Pentecost, 50 days later, Moses goes up to the mountaintop. He comes down with now, this is how you have a relationship with God. So if you were Old Testament people, Moses comes down and he says, hey, here's the rules to how all of us can be in a relationship with God. And God will honor his promise to you. So we, we have these, we'll skip over the Feast of Booths, just know what's happening. Because for today's message, it's important that we talk, know what Passover is and we know what Pentecost is, which is where Acts chapter 2 happens. So we've got these two major events Hundreds of years later, the Jewish people still every year, when it comes time for Passover, they're celebrating Passover. When it comes time for Pentecost, they're remembering this and they're celebrating it. Now, it's not necessarily they would celebrate, maybe like you and I would celebrate Thanksgiving, where we all, we're, we're off for a day and we'll share a meal, all that. That was part of it. But what they would do was all the Jewish people, who were able to, and it was really preferred that they do, would all come to Jerusalem to celebrate this. So, right, it's not just like you're off and at home and you celebrate it. It's like, no, we're packing up the family. We're packing, and it's not as easy in those days, right? I mean, it's not like you threw stuff in the back of the suburban and you drove across the state to go to Jerusalem. No, you were walking or you were riding a donkey and you were carrying your whole family so that you could go to Jerusalem for these three events and celebrate these events. So here we are. It's Passover, and it's people have come to celebrate, and, and as they celebrate at this particular time leading up to this event of Pentecost, this particular Passover, something traumatic happened. There was a crucifixion, which was Jesus' crucifixion, right? So word had been getting around about something that was stirring. Which leads us to Acts chapter 2. It's now Pentecost. And you and your family and people from all over the place have now traveled a great distance so that you could come and remember how God has set you free and God has established a relationship with you through the law. So there's people now that come to Jerusalem from all over the place. And as the years have gone by... The Jewish, the Jewish understanding and religion has spread. So now there's converts to Jerusalem and there's people who have moved great distances or been scattered as they have had to move. And so now there's Jews from all the surrounding countries that are coming to Jerusalem. So you can just imagine this big festival. There's all different family groups coming together and people that you've known from generations past. So as you're coming to town, you're seeing people, oh, it's good to see you again. And you're seeing people that, that come from obviously different cultures and they're speaking a different language. And it's just like mass people everywhere in Jerusalem. There's all kinds of interaction and hubbub going on around the city. Now, there are people who have come to the city, obviously, who have heard rumors because Jesus was crucified just a couple of months or so ago. And they've heard rumors about what this man did. And they probably even might know some people 
that actually followed Jesus. And then there were those people that were there for Pentecost that said, I heard what he said and I saw what he did and I believe that he is the Messiah. So all these people are gathered together in Jerusalem and Jesus has met with those who have followed him. And he is now ascended to heaven. But remember what he told all those who followed him, which would have been about 120 people or so. He said, wait, I want you to wait. I've got something really good for you that God's going to do in your life. And this message is going to go through you all around the world. But I want you to wait. So they're gathered together there. And what, what does that mean? I mean, they're thinking, okay, here's Jesus, and I believe he's going to do something great, but it's different than I thought it was going to be because he just, he just rose into the heavens and disappeared. But he told us to wait. Well, I think for me, that would cause me to be full of anticipation. You know, like when you know something's coming so much that you can't sleep the night before because you're just anticipating something. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's stressful. But either way, you're anticipating something. These believers would have been full of anticipation. What did Jesus mean when he told us to wait? So here we are. We're gathered together. We're going to celebrate Pentecost. But we're going to wait. There would have been some uneasiness too. Knowing that there are people who didn't want them to continue this message of following Jesus. I mean, they just crucified Jesus, right? So there, there's a little bit of a, of a mark on them, right? There's a wanted poster for them down in the post office because these are people who followed Jesus. And so there, there's a little bit of this anticipation mixed with anxiety of what is God going to do and are we okay? But we're just going to continue here and we're going to wait. So these people that followed Jesus, they did what you and I probably would have done. In the midst of everybody else coming to town, all these different people groups, they found a place like this where they could all gather together because we've got something in common. We all followed Jesus. We saw what he did and we believed what he said. And so we're going to, let's, let's all meet down at Hebner Elementary in the cafeteria, okay? So there they are. They all gather together. And they're going to pray together as they wait. And they're going to worship together as they wait. And they're going to fellowship together as they wait. Because they all have this common uneasiness and anticipation about them. And as they wait, they're praying. They're worshiping. And then something happens. You know when you're waiting for something and you're like, I mean, you're almost bracing for it because it could happen at any moment. That's what I picture here. But as they're praying and worshiping, the Bible tells us that the sound of a mighty rushing wind began to fill the room. The sound of, not the actual wind, just the sound of. I remember when we lived in Rockport a few years back, there was one night a windstorm came through. And if you've ever heard it described as a train sounds like it's coming right at you. That's the sound that we heard. It wasn't necessarily windy yet. I went out on the front porch 
And I was watching thinking, what in the world's about to happen? And we had trees snap that night. It was a mighty wind that came through. But that's what happened. They're sitting there praying. They're worshiping. And then all of a sudden, just this sound fills the room. I mean, what would you do in a situation like that? I mean, if you're like me, you're thinking, do I open my eyes and do one of those peek around the room things? Or do I, do I just stay praying because who knows what's going on? But they keep praying and worshiping as this sound fills the room. And then almost, you know, they're probably intimidated to even open their eyes. But it seems like there's a glowing in the room. And as you get the bravery to open up that one eye and peek around the room, you look at the person next to you and it's like there's a fire glowing above their head. It's what it tells us in the book of Acts. And then as you kind of snap out of it and you're going, what in the world is going on here? I hear the sound of wind. I see this fire glowing over the heads of the people around me. You look at your wife who's sitting next to you and she's speaking another language. Is that Italian? What, what's coming out of your mouth right now? And you start looking around and there are all sorts of languages being spoken in the room. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I know these people. That's not the language that they speak. And as you look around, you begin to realize you're speaking a language that you've never even spoke before. And you think, what in the world could possibly be going on? But as this event is happening, we see a crowd begins to gather because you're praying and you're in awe and you don't even want to move because who knows what could be happening right now. The room begins to fill up. All of a sudden, people begin streaming through that door and people begin coming in the lobby and there's people standing all around and there's people leaning in just because they want to hear because all of these cultures and countries that have traveled in to Jerusalem all of a sudden hear somebody speaking in their native language. And it's not just that they're speaking, but they're declaring the mighty goodness of Jesus and what he has done. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a foreign country where like nobody's speaking English. We went this summer to China and there were very few people speaking English in some of the places we were at. And so even if just passing by you would hear something on the TV or you would hear somebody speaking in English. I mean, all of a sudden it was like you were a puppy dog and your ears went straight up and you're like, I, I just heard my language. Somebody is speaking my language. You know, why, why did God choose to do it like this? I'm, I'm not sure. But I know in this moment that God is getting people's attention. You know, I think that uh, Google is trying to catch up with the Holy Spirit. It hasn't been, a, you know, they're about 2,000 years behind or whatever. But we, we found this amazing app that helped us in the first days of our, our adoption, uh, being that Nate spoke primarily Mandarin. But uh, you can speak back and forth in a multitude of languages with this app, and it's not always correct. And uh, I didn't tell you about this, Miguel, but I'm going to try to put this up to the microphone and see if we get anything here. But I could say something to this app, and it will say it back in another language. Let's see. Nate? Nate? Okay. <laughs> yeah, 
I just asked him if he was hungry for lunch, and he said, when church is finished, when we go home. <laughs> he heard his language, and he wasn't expecting to hear his language, right? So it took us twice. But here's these people that have gathered into Jerusalem, and they're there to celebrate Pentecost, and they're not expecting to hear this building with their language flowing out of it. And all of a sudden they hear their language and like the puppy dog, their ears perk up and they think, I'm going to go over there and see what's going on. And there's this sound of a rushing wind and there's people speaking their language. And why did God choose to do it in that method? I don't know, but I do know this. God got their attention. And God got the, t- the attention of people who would be dispersed in a few days to the entire region. And the room was filled with God's power and God's presence. They were hearing about Jesus. And in that moment, this is why this is so important in Acts 2. Because the church is born. You have to understand that in this moment, it went from the Holy Spirit just being Uh, an entity of God that would meet with certain people in certain situations for a certain message, to being the Holy Spirit that will fill you and work in your life right now and wherever you go. It shifted in Acts chapter 2 right here. So let's look at it. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. They were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Luke is describing this amazing situation right here of a small group of people that were in awe of God, probably frightened, probably many uneducated men and women who wouldn't have known multiple languages But they quickly and undoubtedly became a force to carry out a movement that would end up... What happened in that situation that we just read right there ended up expanding the entire globe for thousands of years to come. And you are exhibit A of that. Because of what happened right there in Acts chapter 2, we sit here today. Now... We just talked about people speaking in other languages, biblically. That's called speaking in tongues. And so some of you, just to address it, some of you, that makes you really excited. Yes, let's talk about that, Pastor Adam. Bring them all up here. Let's lay hands on them. For some of you, you're like, oh, man, where is the door? I'm ready to go right now because that really makes me nervous to even address that. So... Why, why did God choose to do it this way? I mean, why didn't God just split Jerusalem in two like he did the Red Sea to make a statement and boom, the Holy Spirit shows up? Why didn't he do like he did in the Old Testament, have a donkey speak? Send in an army of donkeys. I mean, that would have made a statement, right? If a whole herd of donkeys come in talking, declaring the goodness of the Lord, right? I mean, that would have said something. Why, why didn't he just have all the believers be able to levitate whenever they wanted to? I mean, that would say something to people, right? Here's what I can tell you. 
God has never done it the way we would want it to be done necessarily. He's never, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, the Old Testament tells us. When, when Jesus arrives on the scene, coming as a baby in a manger wasn't the way that people were expecting it to happen. Going through the Red Sea wasn't the way that people were expecting it to happen. When Jesus healed the blind man, spit and made mud and then put it on the guy's eyes, that's not the way people wanted it to happen. But God is continually saying, I'm going to do things in a supernatural way, not by natural logic. So I want to do something that is clearly supernatural. So when the Holy Spirit makes his entrance to be accessible to us all, he comes in a very supernatural way. And it gets people's attention and then it spreads to all the surrounding areas. God has a plan for the entire human race to be introduced to the gospel. And we see it begin right here. And he does it by making a bold statement with these believers who are gathered together in this room. It's beyond natural understanding, but he's a supernatural God. So that's what we would expect. Let's continue in verse 7. They were completely amazed. Wouldn't you be too? How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from, uh, these people are all from Galilee, and yet they're speaking in our native language. Here we are, listen to this group of people, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and areas of Libya, and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they ask each other. I mean, that would be pretty amazing, right? Well, some people had a brilliant answer, verse 13. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. Go home, you guys are drunk, right? I mean, all you guys speaking a dozen plus languages, you must be drunk. And I guess somebody had to tell them, yeah, that's not really what happens when you're drunk, that you learn a new language instantly, right? Or I think there would probably be a, you know, a higher volume of alcohol being sold in schools and whatnot to help you (laughs) learn it. So Peter is going to step into this commotion right now. He addresses them. Peter steps forward, this is verse 14, with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd because now the crowd has just grown enormous. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I'll pause right there. I'm glad that they spelled this out real clearly for us. It doesn't matter what time the Cowboys play. Nine o'clock is still way too early, all right? Nine o'clock is way too early for that. Now that you see what was predicted long ago from the prophet Joel, in the last days, God uh, says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, And they will prophesy. So all of you. 
If you're willing to believe, God says, I will pour out my spirit on you. Men, women, young, old, rich, poor, hard times, good times. God will meet you right where you're at. And his Holy Spirit can reach every single one of us. The spirit of God is now given to them in this book of Acts. It's given to you and it's given to me in San Antonio, Texas. Right here, God is willing to pour out his spirit on all of us. Now. This is so cool. Uh, I I like this part, how the story kind of all comes together if you haven't put these pieces together yet. So we have Passover, right? The lamb was sacrificed. The blood of the lamb was put on the door. That's why they come to celebrate at Passover because God gave them grace, mercy, and passed over them. The last time that Passover was celebrated in this context was when? When Jesus was crucified. Right? When the blood of the ultimate lamb was shed. So that the judgment of God could pass over all of those who are now covered with the blood. Right? Who have accepted the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. Fifty days later, after Jesus was crucified, just happens to be Pentecost. It would have been a Sunday. Happens to be Pentecost Sunday. Remember, Jesus told us all, wait, wait. And 50 days later, when they're all gathered together to celebrate Pentecost. Remember, Pentecost is when Moses ascended up the mountain to get the law of God, the covenant of God, and bring it back down to the people so that they could see the boundaries for their relationship with God. Well, now Jesus has ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit now comes down and says, and now here is the power, the purpose, and the place for you to be able to have relationship with God, to be able to walk in His power and His ability and His presence. So now we see the new Passover. Now we see the ultimate Passover. And now we see the new Pentecost. And the ultimate Pentecost. Perfectly planned out. 50 days later on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit shows up to say. Now here is the new covenant. That you are able to walk in. And live in. Peter's going to go on. He's going to preach the first what would really be the first message to the church throughout the majority of the rest of Acts chapter 2. And I encourage you to read that this week because there's some really good stuff in there, but we can't get to all of it. And then I want to get to the very end of the book of Acts. Because as he comes to the end, we see the first result of the Holy Spirit showing up and the effect of that happening. Um. I think out of incredible circumstances like this one, we see incredible results, right? Uh, out, out, of, out of situations that really stretch us and wake us up, we see incredible results. I think the last few weeks have been a great example of that. I mean, I think we can all agree that we've looked around and we've seen people being kind to people just because they needed it regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their economic level, regardless of any opinion that we may have had about them, there was a need and we've seen humanity just being kind to other humanity. And out of an incredible circumstance like Hurricane Harvey, 
we've seen incredible results. Like people being generous in their giving. People being generous with their time and their compassion. Uh, We went to a football game this last week for Rockport because we used to live there. And they were playing in Seguin, so we went over there. The Seguin School donated thousands of dollars to Rockport. Their band played for the Rockport band because Rockport doesn't have instruments anymore. Their cheerleaders cheered for the Rockport team because they said, we want to reach out and stand in your place to help you out. Out of incredible circumstances come incredible results. And I think that's just a little bitty taste what the hurricane has given us, the silver lining in that of what we see here, because this is not a hurricane showing up, but this is the presence of God showing up and it produces something incredible. We see in Acts 2, 41 through 47, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, the same day, about 3,000 in all. Now, that would have been just counting men. That's how they counted it in those days. So if you add in the women, there's another 3,000 at least. You add in the children, we're probably up to 10,000 people that gathered together because they heard their language. And all of a sudden, they hear Peter explaining what this all means. And in that one day, 3,000 were added. And it goes on to say, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, into sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So what? What does that mean for us as individuals? What does that mean for us as a church? Well, as a church, I think it means we need to ask God To be present in us. This is not about us gathering to hear somebody talk. And hear a great band play music. This is about us gathering together. To say God we're waiting for you. God we need you to meet us right where we're at. We need your Holy Spirit to minister to us. Would you move in and through this body. And for you as an individual. That means that the Holy Spirit can move. God can move in your life. Not just something that you believe in, but God working personally in your life and through your life. How does that happen? Well, we can see in Luke's very own writings back in Luke chapter 11, 13. says this, So if you sinful people, if all of you qualify as sinful people, then you're good for the rest of the verse here. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We're not perfect. We're messed up. But we understand how to give a good gift. If we can understand how to give a good gift to someone that we love, that's just a small little drop in the bucket compared to how much God wants to give you a good gift. His very presence, His power, His purpose in your life. And he says, 
we just have to ask Him. We need God in our marriages, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, to be able to walk with Christ, sometimes just even to drive through traffic, right? We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we need Him as a church. For the future of this church, for what God wants to do, not just in us, but what God wants to do through us in our city as we reach out to people on the coast, as we go around the world, whatever it is that God has before us, we need God's presence in our lives. He just says that we need to ask. Now, we see throughout the scriptures, sometimes God shows up as fire and wind. Sometimes God just shows up as quiet conviction that cleans out the junk that we have within our hearts and our minds smooths away the rough edges. He's our counselor and our convictor and the power within our lives. So many things. This is where the church was born. And ironically, talking about coincidences in time, this this weekend would be the ninth official anniversary weekend of Rock Hills Church. And I believe that it's appropriate that in this time, as we come to another milestone, that we just say, God, I need you. God, we need you. So would you pray with me and then we're going to close in a song. Dear Heavenly Father, we do need you. God, we are sinful people. We need a Savior. We need the power of God. We need the presence of God. We need the purpose of God in our lives. Father, as we just close with a moment of worship, I pray for those who need to surrender all that they are to accept the gift that you have given them from the cross and salvation. Lord, that they would be forgiven and free and made new creations. And Lord, I also pray, Lord, for those who just need to surrender all that they are and ask the Holy Spirit to empower their lives and fill them up afresh and anew. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name.